0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is a warning that today's episode contains descriptions of torture and violence related to sorcery accusations that may be distressing.
0: Because we don't have any cultural roots, no one is there to interpret what sorcery is. So anyone is fair game and people just stand and watch while they prey on their own women and start burning them.
1: Sorcery related violence in Papua New Guinea has made shocking headlines across the world. And while men can be victims, more often than not, women are targets. It's sickening and heartbreaking. One woman on the front lines is Ruth Kisa. She has made it her mission in life to stamp out this practice. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk to Ruth Kisa about a crusade against sorcery accusation-related violence in Papua New Guinea. In July this year, a prominent PNG businessman, Jacob Luke, was found dead in bushes close to his home in Angle province. His death sparked a shocking level of violence. Women were rounded up by a mob and about a dozen were tortured. Four of them died. This is what Ruth Kissam is fighting to put a stop to. She has been fighting for the victims of sorcery accusation-related violence in Papua New Guinea since she gave up law study to become a human rights activist. She is now board president of Advancing PNG Leaders Network, an organization she set up after being deputy director for PNG Tribal Foundation. Right now,
0: we call it sorcery accusation-related violence. And the moment you say that it gives a cultural connotation to it. And that in itself is now becoming an impediment to viewing it as it actually is and which is a criminal matter. The law needs to come down hard on people that are acting in a criminal matter, torturing and killing people based on their belief and also coming up with accusations against someone by taking away their liberty to move freely, act freely, live freely. This is a criminal case. What's happening to women around Papua New Guinea has got absolutely nothing to do with culture. It's got everything to do with the breakdown in our law and order. In this latest case, can you describe what happened? The women that were rounded up, 10 of them were actually tortured. And four of them died. Of the five that survived, we went and visited them. And the stories that they they came from then was that this was an ongoing tribal conflict that people took advantage of. So when you look at it, it had got nothing to do with sorcery. This was like everyone was starting to get jealous because Jacob decided to only live with his own people. And instead of the main village, he came to the main road, going all the way up to Surinki to Pogara, the main road. And he built his house there, built a new school there and brought development to his people, his own Pepen tribe. So the women that were killed were related to him. They were either his nieces, his brothers, wives, um, his sisters. So these was not people from outside. These were his own blood relatives that were preyed on by the mob that belonged to the bigger Teer tribe. So these are men from the other Teer tribe that came in and then started um, torturing them. Wow. And all of them knew that these women were... Women that used to cook for him. One of them was his best cow cow cooker. I mean the one that cooked cow cow for him since what back in 2013. So when she started relaying to us her story, she's like, but I'm the one that he comes to all the time because he knows that the cow cow that I grow, he likes that cow cow. So I always cook the cow cow for him from the from the ash. And the other one was like, he likes corn. So we do this, you know, he likes garden food. So these women, they feed his pigs, they look after his place, they they practically live and work in the house they came up and then they tortured his own women that his own relatives that live and that's why his daughters his younger brother his family were you know they were saying these are our own family why are you doing this our father wouldn't approve of it and in front of them they used jacob's own wires and iron bars that were used to build his house to torture the women in his yard
1: wow why do they use the excuse of
0: sorcery to torture these women it's like a phenomenon my dear the moment you you mention sorcery because we don't have deep cultural roots people take a step back because i mean uh, traditionally engans fight for their women you will not touch their women and and not you know get into a tribal fight but in this case because this is an imported idea the moment someone says sorcery because we don't have any cultural roots, no one is there to interpret what sorcery is. So anyone is fair game, and anyone is also can say that I know exactly what sorcery does. This is how we, you know you interpret it, this is how you see it, this is what they do. People come up with their own interpretation right there and then. So you have all of them becoming like glass man or glass marys. And that's it. So people, because we don't have the cultural context, people just stand and watch while. They prey on their own women and start burning them. So it can be triggered by old jealousies. It can have nothing to do with real sorcery. It can have everything to do with some old rivalries that people can pick up on, or even now currently, whether it's political, And it can also be revenge sorcery accusation. So if you're part of a group that accused one of, you know, a woman from another tribe and maybe tortured it, now they'll start repaying it, but accusing one from your tribe and then, start torturing it. It's fluid. This belief is fluid. It's not, it's not set because it does not have cultural roots, but even in places that it has cultural roots, violence is not actually part of the sorcery practice itself. Violence is not. It's always belief system of sorcery against sorcery. That's why every time I keep on reminding people and saying that, This has got no cultural roots. This is a criminal matter. Treat it as such and get the law involved. Don't get policemen standing there and seeing it while people are starting to do the interrogation. You know, it does not have cultural roots for them to do cultural interrogation or becoming glassman or glass married.
1: Hmm. When did this start to become a problem in PNG?
0: Personally, for me, I think it picked up about 10 years ago. And like you said, coming from a Highlands community, And being from Enga, I know what happened in Enga was back in the 90s when Pogara Joint Venture opened the mine. And um, I remember the first person in my village that was accused of being a sanguma was someone that they said came like a dog and went to a, a cemetery. And this was in the mid, I mean, sorry, early 90s. 93, 94, 95. So the story was that women whose husbands were, were starting to work in the mine which opened in 1990, they were now had money, cash. The community was flushed with cash. And because of that, women were afraid that their husbands were going to have second or third wife. So the story is that most of them started going down to Simbu and other places to buy love portion for their husbands. What happened was instead of love Portion. Now, a few years after that story went around, it changed from instead of buying love potion, women bought sanguma potion. So now they're going around graves and they're starting to eat up, you know, dead bodies. That was the story back then in the 90s. In the 2000s, it started changing. The story started changing um, to, oh no, it's um, they're starting to, you know, they'll just see you and that's it, you, you'll die. And then in the two, uh, I mean, after 2010, the story started changing into. Uh, Women now starting to, you know, hit the hearts of men. So I came across um, the death of Kipari Lainiata in 2013 was more like the trigger. So it was simmering for a while. The violence was not there, but the buildup was like back in the 90s into after 2000. It started building up. And after 2010, that's when the violence erupted. Now it's like it's anything, it's sorcery. If someone can die from a car accident and it's still sorcery. Someone can die from AIDS and it's still sorcery. Mm, that's sad.
1: So you said that this was actually imported from places like Simbu province and also uh, from what I've heard and spoken to people about,
0: also from the Medang province, Bundi area? So there is uh, the hotspots in the in the country right now, certain places like Morabe and Medang, um, these are hotspots of sorcery. But then at the same time, in the upper Islands, we don't have it. But in the lower islands, we do. Some parts of Simu and some parts of Eastern Islands. But you're talking about Juwaka, Western Islands, Enga, Southern Islands, Hela. No, this is not part of their culture. But then in certain parts of these provinces, like in Enga, you have the Paella region. There's only one particular place where they have um, practice of um, sorcery. Then in other parts, zero. So you have pockets of it. Around, But then it's it, it is, they've got rules of engagement. You don't just practice sorcery for the sake of it. Sorcery acts as a deterrent in every community. So they keep it because it looks after them. They keep it because um, it protects them. But apart from that, um, they don't just use it for the sake of using it. But then in the transvocal area, things have changed into now becoming an Ausman kind thing where they are commercializing it. So you come down and you learn how to be a, a sorcerer, and then you pay for it, and that's it. It's like the houseman. So you come down to be initiated into the houseman, and then you go and you start practicing it. So that's completely different from what's happening in other parts of the country. Uh, research has shown that the demographics of those that are being attacked, the numbers are high in Arab, in in Bukha, uh, in the autonomous region of Bougainville. The number of males being attacked under the sar- sorcery accusation-related violence is really high in in Buka, but in on the mainland, it's in Enga. But then it's women. The number of women that are being attacked around the country, the highest number is in Enga. So you have this very wide range, extreme views by different people. And the sad thing is, Enga is deeply patriarchal, um, and Arab is um, matrilineal. So I don't know whether that factor plays into it or not. Is um, the links have not been sort of researched yet. But apart from that. You can see that it's not like all the prophecies around Papua New Guinea have got sorcery accusation. Certain places that we have them and certain places we don't. Um but then it's like it's a, it's like I said, it's fluid. So someone picks it up and then it, it starts carrying on. The Laholam case that Jacob looks deaf incited, it's the first of its kind. In that place has never been sort of heard of.
1: And with the c- cases in relation to late Jacob Luke's passing, have people been arrested? I think
0: the police are working around just to, because of the number of people, the eyewitnesses, the survivors are the ones that are now trying to prosecute um, their relatives. Um, and then you have, because of the number of um, perpetrators that were there, I think the police are still compiling their eyewitnesses claims. So we've, we've also been working with them to help them fast track that. But the, the survivors want to. Justice. And that's the thing. In anger, if we can have prosecution, if we can have arrest, prosecution, and successful conviction, it'll send a message across because we haven't been able to have that. You know, people think they can still do it and get away with it. So we are praying that this case will be the first to have a mass arrest. In other parts of the country we have, we have had a um, few arrests. One of the biggest ones was the 89 of them that were arrested and convicted, um, some even to life in prison in Medan. So we've had, we've had some headway, in, especially in arrest, and so though we'd like to have more, we've had arrest and conviction, sorry, conviction is the one. Um, a lot of them have been given life. Some of them have been given the capital punishment too, even though now that has been changed to life as well. We've had some wins but not as much as we would like. This is
1: really torturous, what these women experience and go through. Can you describe what happens to, to victims?
0: Everything that borders on sadism, everything that defines a woman is what they go for. They start torturing her under her armpit. They torture her nipples and her, the chest. And then the birth canal is completely destroyed. We have had a lot of them, the ones that have survived, have now become people that have now, you know, you you refer to them as stoma patients. They cannot be able to use their birth canal or um, even pass out properly urinal waste from their body. So they, we've got to find, doctors have to find an alternative way to do that uh, because they've been raped brutally by hot iron. And a lot of them do not even make it out alive. They pass. Some of them are burned to death. Others that do survive are either traumatized so badly and some of them carry the scars. They're not able to even use their ends or their feet, can't even walk properly. They've got problems even, you know, falling pregnant again, even to the point of mothers that are breastfeeding or mothers that are pregnant that have been tortured as well. I can't even go further than that. It's just sadistic in nature. It's one of those things that you don't um, want to talk about. It becomes personal. My child is adopted. Her mother was killed. She survived, but she also has scars. Um, She's happy now. She's 10 years old, going on 11 next month. Um, And this all happened like six years ago, but it's still fresh. They don't discriminate against age. So long as you know it's a girl child, they'll do the same to what they did to their mothers. We've got um, babies being ripped from pregnant women. It's something that you don't want to even write about it or even think about it. What you want to do is just either get them the help they need medically or legally so that they can be able to have peace once they prosecute a case. And that's the hardest part for a lot of us that are working in this space because we're not giving them the justice they deserve. We're rescuing them, we're repatriating them to other provinces, we're reintegrating them into new communities, but we just can't be able to give them the justice they deserve. And that's the most um, heartbreaking thing for me because I know that they don't have closure. And when they don't have closure, you as a human rights defender or activist that is working with them, it feels like your, your work is still not complete. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia.
1: I'm speaking to Papua New Guinean human rights activist Ruth Kisa. She's on the front line in the fight against sorcery accusation related violence in Papua New Guinea. Let's talk about your fight for justice. Let's go back to when you first started your journey to do this. You and I went to primary school together. Um, I was classmate with your big brother Emmanuel, and uh, then to see you, you know, take on this stance, I, I had so much admiration and respect for you for what you do. Tell us how your journey started. What happened with you?
0: Well, I tried to be a lawyer, and then um, and then this happened. I didn't set out to be a human rights activist. I, you know, sometimes passion finds you in a place where you find that that's where you belong. And I guess that's where not a lot of people actually find something that they love doing. And for me, maybe because of the, you know, being a pastor's kid and um my father telling me every time that we've got to leave for others, I guess it wasn't a hard choice for me. When I came across um, Kipari lineage notice that was um, hanging on one of the hospital bo- um, notice board for someone to come and claim her body. So I claimed her body buried there a uh, year after she was tortured and killed. And then I realized that she was one, but there were thousands out there that no one actually got to even speak up for. So it wasn't like I, I wanted to do this. I I did what I did and I'm doing what I'm doing because there's a need. There is a space that a lot of people do not want to be associated with. Um, sorry to say this, but when it comes to gender-based violence, everyone wants to stand up for this. It's seen as a it's 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 a glamorous space. People want to be associated uh, with fighting for the justice of those that have been involved in gender-based violence. But when it comes to sorcery accusation, we don't have a lot of people that stand up for the voices. And once I did, I realized that. I understood why people didn't want to because it was, it was a dark place to be associated with. But then I'm very grateful for to Tribal Foundation. This was an organization that wasn't um, afraid to talk about the hard things, to talk about, you know, talking to the big people on changing the laws. We, just last year, Governor Allen Bird worked with us and he introduced the East Private um, Members Bill, the Glassman Act, which was passed, so now it's the ones that do the accusations are also um, liable for prosecution. And then um, we have amended the laws around um, the criminal code. Section two nine nine a of the criminal code is now amended. Um, so it's it's something that I feel like I got dragged into it, but it's what I've always, I you know, should be, should be because I for me it's all about I go to sleep at night, but I sleep well because I know that I'm doing the best I can I might not be able to save on I might not be able to you know give everyone the voice they need but it's starting to gain momentum and that's what we want you know we want every young people to say that not on my watch and now we're seeing organizations come through uh, and doing that like just recently the voice inc tvi through their clean generation they're doing videos they're doing talk shows they're doing forums um, and they're just going through school to school, institution to institution. They're raising up leaders to talk about SAR. And that's what we wanted, you know. Um, when I first started out in 2013, we didn't have a lot. 2014, 15, 16, 17. It was just a few of us jumping here and there, just making the noise so that the government can be able to respond. And now we're starting to see this movement rise. And my yes, we're seeing the numbers of accusations, uh, sorcery accusation related violence, but I'm also seeing a number of Papua New Guinean citizens, stakeholders and partnerships also rise up to say that, no, this is not our society. We should not be defined by this. And that's also, it gives me hope.
1: That's wonderful to hear. (laughs) When you turn up in a village, how do you carry out your work? Um, What do you do and who is involved? Do you actually get uh, these women out?
0: In some instances you do, in some instances you don't, but most of the time what we do is we negotiate with the communities, the village leaders. Uh, sometimes it's the church leaders. Um, sometimes you've, we've got to call the, the councillors, the ward councillors, the magistrates um, within the community. Sometimes you allow the men to talk. Not sometimes, most times. Most times you have to allow the men to talk because this is something against women. Women are seen as the the... Wicked ones of the community. You are. We are the ones that are seen as the ones that started these old things. So please don't talk, kind of thing. That's what they feel like. So I don't want to aggravate any situations further. So we just don't say anything. All we do is we just go into a community and let the men talk if they have to, or the police, or sometimes when we're it's it's not late, we just rescue the person, um, talk with the community. Uh, at one stage, I think, um we were not allowed to bring out a body, we were given the dead one, but not the live one um so I said, "Okay, well, I'll stay with the live one and um and later, they were able to give us the the person as well so and and we and it's not it's 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 like if they want to give you, they'll give you otherwise they won't they want to they won't um but if you go with if we go with the police, then it always makes it um we know that we might have, you know, get the, get the person out alive.
1: Just sometimes when I read about it, it's really hard to see, you know, sons just standing there watching their moms being burnt. Um, is it really hard for you sometimes to just separate the emotions from the cause
0: you're fighting for? Yeah. As humans, it's really hard to be able to, pull yourself out without getting your feelings involved. Um, I think in the first few years, I I developed medical conditions that, um, that I couldn't really understand. I was depressed. I was becoming toxic to people around me. I had migrants that wouldn't go away. I couldn't deal with it. But then later with counseling, I'm also being able to starting to help myself becoming more, taking, you know, sabbaticals. I made sure that after every 12, you know, months, I would take a month out. That's a must for me. I had to because of my own health. It's not easy because what you see, what you um, smell, stays with you for a very long time. Even if your vehicle is clean, you'll still smell the burnt flesh in your vehicle months or maybe an year later because your your system just brings it up. So it just doesn't go away. It stays with you. Um, especially the ones that you're not able to save, you know, so traumatizing. I don't like to talk about it. I don't post about it because the thing is that it has a, an ability to also throw you off course. Mm, true. It's all about how can I work with the systems that are in place to give them the justice they deserve by feeling what they feel. You're only human. It's gonna drown you. It's just too much. I I feel for them later, but I act for them first.
1: It's not that easy as a Highlands woman uh, to do this and to be a champion for those who can't speak up for themselves. How dangerous.
0: Is it for you at times? Well, it's it's getting more dangerous now. It's getting more dangerous now with the the media and all that. Um also people are becoming more polarized in their views. Um so you know, you're fronting up in their village, they'll fight for what they believe in. was it's not like before. And now with the you know, the weak system, the weak law and order and the, the police system that we have now. People know that they can do whatever they want to do and get away with it. So you coming into the village, uh, you're asking for trouble. So it's it's becoming more and more dangerous um, to go into communities that have high-powered guns, um, that are you know, chopping down trees and blocking off roads when you're trying to get up with um, women that you've rescued and all that. It's, it's, it's just police are becoming helpless in the face of it. I've taken a step back in the last year or two trying to concentrate on my family. But then at the same time, I've been taking time out too as well. Still doing work, supporting those that are doing the hard yards on the ground. But it's still hard. It's still hard, you know. After time, I'm having calls from my friends like, I need flex. Um, We need to, there's this woman here. Could you be able to get the PPC involved? So, you know, I'm making phone calls here and there, but then they call me back to say, you know, we're late. She passed. Uh, The last one was up in uh, the Wabramanda one. It, It just happened, what? Eleven in the night, and he, she was rescued, sent to the hospital. We thought she had survived, but her injuries were so severe she succumbed to them two days later. And all these things that happen, and you know, you're trying to mobilize humanitarian support for them, but then they know exactly where those humanitarian support are coming from. So one of them would easily be able to, you know, reach out to you, inbox you on Facebook. And I have had that people, you know, reaching out to me on Facebook, telling me that uh, you know sometimes they mind businesses that are none of yours. Stick to your own and, you know, do what you do on your side, but stop taking your nose into our business. And you know that these are people that have killed and they want to get away with it. The organization is made up of individuals and they'll corner the individual when they say that they can't take on the organization. So it's not easy. But then, um, you know, uh, we've got to do what we must.
1: Your daughters will grow up later to know about your work and your fight to be the change in PNG. What is your hope for your daughters and what would you want them to remember you for and your legacy?
0: That no matter what happens, that they they, they come from strong stock. They should be proud of their heritage. Um, just because one person decided to act out on, on his ill-conceived beliefs does not relegate them to that. They should be proud daughters of this land, stand, hold their head high. This country needs them. That they are defined from their neck up, not from their neck down. I want my daughters also to carve out their own path in life, but at the same time know that the platform that I have fought hard for is to have a peace and just society for all, for for her, for them and their other girlfriends um, to live peacefully. And if this fight becomes theirs, then they should know that they'll always have the greatest supporter in their life, and that's their mom.
1: Ruth, you're amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your remarkable work with us. And we're honored to have you on our show, and an episode is dedicated to your work. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so very much for having me. I really appreciate the work you do as well, for amplifying our voices. Uh, May God bless you. Likewise, my dear. Thank you so much to Ruth Kisam
1: for being my special guest today. With a passion and commitment, I know she will make a better world for all daughters in Papua New Guinea. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, our women environmental warriors are making a difference despite the gender power imbalance. Women are very important at that provincial level. It's mostly just the male presence, but underneath that is the organization, associations. This is where the women's association make a very strong voice. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stumsner. Our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production.
0: Emtasol Tasol you next time.